Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe presented by Coop Aleworks. We are back in studio after taking a nice week off to recharge after the season. And now we're back ready to talk all things Thunder Basketball. And so we're kicking off our kind of off-season kind of cadence of one podcast a week pairing with a great feature story that Gallo has. He's got a lot of feature stories lined up <laughs> for this offseason. So you're going to want to keep an eye on OKCThunder.com. And so today's podcast We've been preparing for for a while now, and it's all about defense. Yeah, and that's really the hallmark of what this Thunder team wants to establish early on, especially in some of these young players' careers, is having that defense-first mentality. So we figured as we head into the offseason, let's focus on what the Thunder did defensively in the 2021-22 season, and that's the focus of my article on OKCThunder.com and kind of what we're going to break down today of what were some of the foundations, as Sam Presti put it, the bones of what could be a good defensive team moving forward. What were some of those things? And we can kind of lay out step by step of what some of those foundational elements have been. And the Thunder's defense was a bright spot throughout the whole season. And it was really fun to watch, especially for a lot of young players on this team, a lot of new faces. And it took a lot of things, both seen and unseen, to allow that defense to get to the point where at one point it was a top 10 defense in the league. So we're going to break down both elements of those things, the tangible, the intangible. We're going to start with the tangible, aka the highlight plays. <laughs> and so me and Gallo both have tabbed our favorite defensive plays of the season. Gallo, I'll let you go first. It had to be one of the smallest guys on the floor. It had to be. Absolutely <laughs> ripping the ball out of Nikola Jokic's hands, the reigning MVP. I'm talking about Trey Mann ripping the ball out of Jokic's hands, starting a fast break. That was a home game against Denver, and that was really Trey's coming out moment in terms of, I'm going to fight, I'm going to scrap, I'm going to do everything that the coaches are asking me to do to make up for maybe some of my youth, some of my uh, physical slightness in terms of just how skinny he is at this point in his physical maturation. And that's just one of those plays that's like, here's a, a sign that Trey Mann can stay on the floor in crunch time situations. And not only that, he can stay on the floor for maybe a decade in this league if he can play with that scrappiness in that fight. Here's why I love that play, because that play could obviously stand alone without any of the backstory. You see it and you're like, that was an incredible mm -hmm. play. Smallest guy on the floor against the league's reigning MVP, the tallest guy on the other team. Obviously, that's a massive play. But everybody that has been following the Thunder understood the backstory of why that was such a significant play for Trey Mann, because the coaches have been encouraging him to really dig in on the defensive end. He's been leaning in and really pushing himself because he had already had a, a G League stint up to that point to kind of really hone in on that defensive side of his game. So he knew that this is the scrappiness, the physicality, that's what's going to keep him on the floor. He's been working really hard on that. The coaches have been getting on to him about that. So I feel like everybody celebrated in that moment when yeah. he ripped the ball away from Nikola Jokic. Yeah, those are the types of things that are developmental moments. And, you know, as we have talked with Royce Young, who's mm -hmm. been a part of our team and has done the path, like those are path type moments where it's like, okay, just put a little pin in that and, yeah. and keep an eye on it moving forward. Paris, what was your favorite play? All right, my favorite play was earlier, oh, it was, it was in February, actually. It yeah. felt like earlier in the season, but it was actually Darius Baisley. And I, I highlighted this one play and it was his block at the end of the first quarter against DeMar DeRozan. DeMar had the ball at the top of the key, I believe. He had Darius isolated, did his like little, little razzle-dazzle move <laughs> and then tried to pull up for a mid-range jumper, which is his bread and butter. Darius Baisley, six foot eight, great length, great athleticism, deflected the shot, no shot, end of the quarter. 
But that entire game for Darius was an incredible defensive game. He had three blocks. I believe he had a couple of steals mm -hmm. as well. He guarded DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic. I mean, like he was all <laughs> over the floor. And I think that was just kind of like a cornerstone defensive game for Darius. Yeah. I had to tap it. There was a point in that game where five by five was yes. possible. Five, at least five points, five rebounds, five assists, five steals, five blocks. Like that was on the table for Darius. He didn't end up getting it. But that's what he can do. I mean, this is a guy that had more blocked shots than he did fouls throughout the yes. course of the season. He led all NBA players in terms of fewest fouls when, among guys that played 25 or more minutes. And yet he was extremely disruptive in being able to just be an accurate shot blocker mm -hmm. like he was, have that timing on jump shots. Absolutely fantastic. And you really pointed out he kind of like Josh Giddey's inbound passing, like we're, we're starting to find and uncover some of these like uncanny specific skills with guys yes. and, and Darius's shot block, uh, shot blocking of jump shots is up there. And that is, that's very rare. You don't see that very often, obviously around the rim is where yeah. you normally get those little tips, the blocks and those sort of things. But being able to block jump shots, that requires a little element of skill, anticipation and, and kind of understanding IQ and feel for the game that very few people can do. And Paris, how about from a player's perspective? I mean, if you get your jump shot blocked, mm. does that just completely disorient you for the rest of the game? Absolutely, because yeah. people avoid the rim to get to avoid getting their shot blocked. But if your shot's getting blocked in the mid-range or behind a three-point line even, that is so deflating because now it's to the point where, okay, maybe I tried to create this shot for myself, obviously didn't create enough space, but especially if I came off a screen or if, you know, somebody, you know, set me up for this play, I moved off a cut and my shot's still getting blocked. Gosh, that's kind of hard to bounce back. From. I view it like a quarterback who starts getting spooked when a blitz comes from someplace that they weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. And then, and then they're like second guessing, like, okay, well maybe yeah. I don't have enough room to get this pass. Off. Exactly. Maybe I don't have enough room to get this shot off when it comes to basketball. Exactly. So there's certainly a, a big mental element to it as well. So that turned out to be a big, big weapon for Darius. And we saw him blossom. I don't think we need to go too deep into <laughs> it, but we certainly saw him blossom as a defensive player throughout the season. All right, we've laid out the highlight plays. We're going to take a short break here and we're going to get into, we're going to really dive into the defense from the Thunder this season. Coop Works is the proud sponsor of Thunder Basketball Universe. Brewers of the fan favorites, F5 IPA and 99 calorie ice chest IPA. You'll find those and many more Coop beers at retailers across Oklahoma. Learn more at CoopLWorks.com. When it comes to the tangible and intangible sides of, of defense, we're going to we're going to keep on the same track of the, the tangible stuff, the stats, the things you can actually quantify and measure and track throughout a season. And Gally, you did a fantastic job of this in your article, kind of laying out the, the tangible things that made up the Thunder's defense and the core things that they stuck to that allowed them to be consistent in this area. So let's start here. And, and the first one that you kind of laid out in your article was the transition defense. Yeah, I mean, there each team and each iteration of this Thunder team is probably going to have different qualities that really rise up. And, and when you look at the stats, you say, wow, they're doing X at a, mm -hmm. at a really high level. But there are some core things that I think that we can talk through that are going to be pretty essential to most high-level NBA defenses. And the first one is getting back in transition. The fact of the matter is, if you're giving up layup lines in the open floor, you're not going to be able to have a good defense. Right. You're, you're just going to be giving up too many points over the course of you know the 100 possessions in an NBA game. So the fact that the Thunder ranks second in mm -hmm. fast break points allowed was very encouraging, especially when you've got a young team, especially when you have a team that frankly was not winning a ton of games. They they got behind double figures by 20 points in some games. 
for a team that was getting demoralized, maybe that would be very easy to just like let up off the gas mm-hmm. in terms of hustling back in transition defense. The Thunder did not do that. They maintained a very level head when it came to executing on one of the most important aspects of the game, which is getting back. And in fact, Paris, they had three games last season where right. they held their opponents without any fast break points at all. That is a huge testament to their level of buy-in on this element of their defense. And one thing that I kept thinking about throughout the season was, you know, so much of your transition defense starts with your offense, yeah. right? You have to take solid shots. You have to make sure that you're not, you know, forcing yourself to be in these, you know, strange situations on the floor where one side of the floor is completely unbalanced or anything like that. And so being able to have good defense starts with your offense, but also you got to have some pretty good personnel on the floor to allow guys to pick up and stop the ball, regardless of who's bringing the ball to the floor. Yeah. And so that kind of transitions us no pun intended, to (laughs) the next part of the defense, which is, you know, once you are set up in transition, the the first goal for the Thunder this season was protecting the paint. Mm -hmm. And Mark Dagnalt said that after looking kind of at the film and the numbers over the course of the season, they really felt solidified in that that strategy of prioritizing protecting the paint first is really where they want to continue uh, going on and going forward. And the Thunder did an excellent job in that category. I mean, they um, just were excellent in terms of um, field goal percentage allowed in the the restricted area. And, And despite not having a ton of size and traditional shot blocking prowess, the Thunder was able to just kind of maintain some of that verticality that we talk about in the paint and also do a good job of just being in help side position. Yeah, and we'll get into this a little bit later with the intangible, but this is goes down to that physicality as a choice versus mm. like maybe being out out strengthening somebody. It's it's more about that physicality, but also that IQ, the execution of okay, if we don't have a traditional shot blocker, if we don't have a traditional rim protector on the floor, we've got to help each other out. So that means yeah. guys have to rotate, they have to execute, they need to communicate. All of these stuff, all of these things have to work hand in hand in order to be a solid paint protection team without a traditional paint protector. Yeah, and just as a reminder, I mean, this is a Thunder team that did not win 25 games this past season. And yet for the year was in the top half of the league in terms of defensive field goal percentage allowed. Like that, what you allow teams to shoot from the field matters so drastically. You think about these games and winning and losing the difference often comes down to two or three possessions. Well, that's two or three extra shots that go in. Maybe that's the difference between allowing 44% shooting from the field Mm -hmm. and 46% shooting from the field in a game. And so for for the Thunder at this stage of their development as a team, to already be in the top half of the league in terms of what they're allowing teams to shoot from the field is a very encouraging sign. This goes perfectly into the next sort of bone of the Thunder Mm -hmm. defense, which is contesting threes. And I would even expand this out into just like contesting shots in general, because this was a really, really big emphasis for the Thunder all season long. And we heard it from all of the players of like, okay, you went on this incredible streak of, you know, holding opponents to under 40% shooting. What's the mentality? What's the mindset? It's like, just contest. Even right. if you are late, even if you are out of your rotation, if that's not your man, but he's wide open, get out there and contest the shot. And you'd be so surprised how much you can alter shots and just affect a shooter by just making the effort to get out there. And that's something Trey Mann said. And, and it was almost like he was regurgitating exactly something that Mark Dagnall would have mm-hmm. said, which is we look at the numbers and the numbers say 
field goal percentages go down when you've got a hand in the face. And right. so that's that's what you got to do. You got to run people off the line. You got to get a hand up. And that's exactly what the Thunder did all season long. And that really was accentuated by the streak that the Thunder had of 24 consecutive games where they held opponents to under 40% shooting from three, right. which was one of the longest streaks since 1983. And it just goes to show that like, they were able to consistently do that type of contesting of shots. Exactly. Not just, you know, here and there. That This was something that they were able to maintain and sustain as the year went on because that streak happened in the latter half of the season. Exactly. And then the last part of, of just the skeleton of, of a great Thunder defense is, is the rebounding and the not fouling. I like how you paired these yeah. two together because it, it's kind of the same mentality of discipline for both of these. Well, and also those are things that happen at the end of the shot clock, mm. typically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fouling, that's happening when the team, the other team is putting pressure on your defense in some way. When the shot is about to, to come to a, a head, you know, when you're about to get that layup in the lane, when you're right. about to get that mid-range jumper, when you're about to get the three-point attempt. That's when the fouls are happening. They're not often fa- happening, you know, earlier in the possession. And the same thing with the rebound. That is the finish, the conclusion of a defensive possession. Those two things you have to be doing in concert and you can't be loaded up for a rebound and then making a foul off the ball. You can't be you know, going in and crashing in too hard and not even giving your team a chance to get a rebound. Right. So those things are really married. I love this and I've, I've been thinking about this the entire season of just the, the fact that the Thunder was one of the leaders in not fouling throughout mm-hmm. the season with the youngest roster in the league, with all of these new faces and young players, all these guys are learning this for the first time, essentially. And so you can coach effort. You can coach energy. You can coach go out there and just go out there and do great on defense. Give it your all on defense. Okay, if you normally if you do that to a young team and a young squad, <laughs> it's going to be foul city, right? It's going to be hack city because yeah. I, I'm trying to stop him from shooting. I'm trying to stop him from but getting you to the said, bank. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But there was this level of, of discipline, of IQ, of restraint to you can do both. You can defend and you can also not foul. And right. and so I really liked seeing that this season. I think that was a really big sign of maturity for this young for this young team throughout the season. Yeah, ironically, I think the one area that the Thunder might want to see more fouls would be earlier in possessions mm-hmm. as they're doing their work early, that they're showing that physicality. They're not letting guys get to the spots that they want to. Right. So the fact that the Thunder was in the bottom f- or top five, I should say, in fewest fouls, fewest free throw attempts allowed, of course, that is a good thing. But you wouldn't be completely altogether upset if the thunder you know balance that with a little bit more physicality a little bit more right. of like hey we're gonna punch you in the mouth first next season as these guys continue to mature fi- uh, physically and in terms of that toughness that we always talk about yeah i remember there was a game earlier in the season where the thunder went into halftime and they only had like four team fouls mm-hmm. or something like that and i remember talking to assistant coach at halftime and he was like yeah it's probably an indication that we need to be a little bit more physical and we yeah. probably need to you know give us give a little bit more force and make them feel us a little bit more so there is certainly a balance there but it is encouraging to see that that level of discipline and restraint is there while also really leaning into the defensive end and kind of leaning into that especially as we talk about the arc of a defensive possession especially having that discipline at the end of a possession because as thunder fans know as any nba fan knows there's hardly anything more demoralizing Mm -hmm. than being 
at four or five seconds left on the shot clock on a defensive possession and then fouling somebody on a jump yes. shot or as what we often call bailing people out. Yeah. And, and you don't want to bail the opposing team out when you've got that chance to secure a rebound on a missed shot and then get out and go. Exactly. I think that's a perfect transition into our conversation about the intangible side of the Thunder's defense this season that really stood out to us because similar to a shot at the end of a shot clock, right? Obviously, there's a tangible aspect of it. That's two points on the board for the other team. But the intangible aspect is just how demoralizing it is and how much that sort of thing helps shift momentum in a game. For the Thunder, there was a lot of intangible aspects, things that you can't quantify, you can't really see unless you understand kind of the, the ethos of the team as a whole. The one that stuck out to me the most is just the buy-in across yeah. from 1 to 17. Every single guy that stepped in onto the floor seemed to realize the importance of the defensive end. And although there is so few things that the thing, that the team could control in every every in any given game, The defense was always something that they felt like they could. I thought maybe one of the people that exemplified this the most was Aaron Wiggins. And you see throughout the the arc that he had over the course of his season that this is a guy that leaned in defensively and that's what earned him a a full-time contract, you know, going from that two-way to the full-time deal. And so when you go, when you come into this Thunder experience, and it's so funny that you use the word buy-in because... That was what we talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago with Royce after end of season interviews. The guys that came into our little side press conference room, every single player talked about the way to be successful in Oklahoma City is to buy in. Right. And so the guys that really stepped up to the challenge were the ones that said, okay, we know that we've got to get stops. We got to grind out these stops first. And Wiggins was a guy that he got onto the floor because of his defense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And another guy... We didn't see him towards the end of the season, but Kenrich Williams, I think, sparked this for a lot of guys, yeah. too. Kenrich, Lou, that level of intensity on the defensive end, you can't help but, like, try to help out and be yeah. a part of that, too. Like, when you see Kenrich Williams diving on the floor for a loose ball or staring, standing somebody up at the rim or you see Lou Dort just completely just smother the other team's best player – That is energizing. It's kind of the same effect that what we saw in New York with Darius. Remember when he ripped the ball away and that was, there was just so much intensity in that one play that it kind of like bled into the, just the energy of the team. That is so contagious and you can't really, you can't see it. You can't really pinpoint it sometimes, but you also can't knock it. You can't dismiss it. Well, that, that moment too, you know, Darius Baisley's probably not stronger than Mitchell Robinson, who right. has about five inches on him and has you know many more pounds as well. But that moment was an instance where the physicality that Darius mm. showed was more important than the brute strength. And mm-hmm. I think you bringing up Kenrich Williams, I mean, he's a perfect example of a guy that he's lighter and thinner than many wings, yep. but he plays with physicality. Mike Muscala plays with physicality. Yes, he yes. is not this elite athlete. He doesn't have brute strength down low to be this isolation, yeah. you know, post-up defender. But when he needs to be at the rim and he needs to take an elbow to the chin or he needs to take a knee to the chest or whatever, I mean, he's in there and he's he's accepting that contact. Yes, and this leans into the, the next point that I wanted to make here, and I mentioned it earlier, was the physicality versus strength right. conversation. Any game that the Thunder walked into this season, they were not going to be the strongest team out there. Yeah. They weren't going to be the tallest. They weren't going to be the biggest. That was a given. And it would be easy to be discouraged by that and just be like, all right, we're not going to win that battle, so let's not even think about it. Let's just yeah. let's just focus on offense or anything else. Let's just look, like whatever. That is what it is. But instead, they switched the mentality. They switched the perspective and said, 
physicality is a choice. And we, how many times do we hear that from Mark Dagnall this season or Mike Muscala or Trey Mann of we're going to choose to be physical. And just like you said, sometimes it's worth really giving a foul mm-hmm. versus not being physical on a play. Well, and your strength doesn't mean anything if you're not playing with the physicality. Because right, right now, you're correct. The Thunder is not the strongest team on the floor. Right. Someday, they might be. Mm-hmm. And if you track these guys over the course of the next however many years, they might be in a position where, hey, they're looking around and they're like, hey, we are the biggest and strongest mm-hmm. guys on the block. But if they haven't set the foundations now of playing with that physicality, that strength won't mean anything. And so that's why establishing these norms within the team at this stage early when they don't have that is so critical because then it'll be second nature by the time they are the biggest, baddest guys on the block. And that's scary to think about. Yes, (laughs) exactly. All right. One other thing when it comes to just kind of like the unseen elements of the thunder thunders defense is not, and they, they kind of go hand in hand, a not relying on stats to determine the effort that you give because how many times this season has the Thunder, you know, been defending really well, working really hard, executing their game plan, but the other team is just scorching hot. They just yeah. cannot miss everything. The the basketball hoop is the size of a hula hoop, right? <laughs> like they cannot miss. But the consistency to stick with it, the discipline to stick with it, regardless of the outcome, sticking to the process and not relying on the outcome. That's that was key in a lot of different areas for the Thunder. And defensively, that's that really shined because in a lot of those comebacks for the Thunder, the, those 15 comebacks or 16 comebacks of yeah. 10 or more points, it started on the defensive end. Yeah, you can't you can't just outscore your way out of a, a deficit. Right. And the number of times, you know, the Thunder came back from 15 down eight times this mm-hmm. season. When you're down that big, 15 points, like you're not getting all that back. There's no right. 15 point shot. I know that's a cliche, but like you can't just barrage threes and trade threes for twos all the way back from that lead. You're eventually that strategy is going to run out. Exactly. You've got to dig down and get stops. And that's what the Thunder has done. Uh, a number of times over the course of this past season. Exactly. And then the the last thing, and this kind of goes to the, my last point, was just executing mm-hmm. and knowing the game plan. And the reason I brought this up was because of the Thunder's game against Denver. I believe it was at Denver. And they held Nikola Jokic to just 13 points to just like three assists. And the, the Thunder won the game. But it was because they stuck to the game plan of limiting Nikola Jokic, limiting his, limiting his passing and facilitating, limiting his ability to just make an impact on the game. Everybody bought into that, and it they were rewarded with that with a win. Yeah, I love that as the season went on, there were some things about, you know, it was like Thunder defense 101 for the first half of the year. Mm-hmm. And then we got to see some more of advanced classes yeah, as the year yeah. went on. You know, at the beginning of the season, Really, so much of the focus was like, we just got to execute our stuff. We got to figure out what our base package is. We've got to learn who we are defensively. As the year went on, we started to see Mark Dagnall throw in a few little extra little wrinkles. Jokic, we saw the the Thunder trap and double team from the baseline on him. We we saw the team employ a full court press sometimes. And Mark said he really likes to spring that on his team later in the season. You know, the 201 uh, version of that course. And so game planning is another one of those things that as these young Thunder players get deeper into the league, 
that is going to be a crucial element of their preparation and their right. game planning heading into each game, as opposed to let's let's just roll out our stuff and make sure that we're on the same page about <laughs> right. our, our about our defense. Right. As the year went on, they were able to digest more of that game plan exactly. specific stuff. Seeing that learning curve in yeah. real time was really encouraging too, because you remember like these are young players, mm-hmm. and so the fact that they were able to execute that for 48 minutes, hold a Denver Nuggets team to 94 points, yeah. and eliminate basically their best player from as as being as impactful as he could have been really really a good sign and before we before we move on I do want to point out a quote from Mark Dagnall and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember it word for word but it was a quote about defense and he was the point of it was so much of defense doesn't go noticed right everybody talks about the steals everybody talks about the blocks everybody talks about the charges and but nobody's going to post on Twitter good help side rotation or, you know, good communication off a ball screen. Those are things that don't get celebrated, don't get rewarded, but are completely and entirely wholeheartedly necessary in order to have a good defense. He called it invisible value. Yes. And that's exactly to your point. Like, those are the things that when you watch the game as a fan mm-hmm. and you're soaking in every minute, those are the things that you're like, Wow, what a great rotation. Like, yeah. you know, and, and you don't have to be a hoops head to recognize effort and energy. Yeah. And you don't have to be like an expert in the X's and O's to recognize when, okay, that def- that five-man unit, they held up right there. Right. They, they dug down and they got to stop. Mm-hmm. Not because they, you know, made this incredible highlight play like the one that we're talking about before, but in those crunch time moments when, the, you know, the clock is winding down and all five guys were in the right position and they corralled the defensive rebound, there's something special that there you feel as, as as an observer of like, okay, that was a unit that just got yes. the job done together. Yes, and especially when it's in the wave of like momentum yeah. shifting <laughs> basketball where it's like, okay, we've gotten two stops. Can we get another one? Okay, mm-hmm. can we get another one? That 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 is a different feeling right there. You're absolutely right. All right, so those are the tangible and intangible aspects of the Thunder's defense this season. It is now time to bless your timeline with something that really, it obviously, JRE just had defense on the yeah. brain. Nick, I'll let you take this one because you were in the room when JRE talked about this moment. So you're going to see on our at OKC Thunder social channels that we've been rolling out, and it's an incredible job by our social team, we've been rolling out these posts that have each of our players talking about their favorite play of their own from the course of the season and jeremiah robinson earl we gathered those in in that room on exit interview i'm sorry end of season interview day uh in my room there and one of the things that jeremiah talked about was this snatch block that he had on troy brown jr in the game against chicago he rose up to the rim got the ball at the apex with one hand reached down and he actually kind of curled it in his arm to just take the ball away and you know jeremiah's six nine he's Mm -hmm. not it's not like he's a seven foot two guy that's like already up above the rim he had to really get up there and do it and and grab the ball there was just uh, sensational and so anyway that video that whole breakdown of that sequence is out there on our at okc thunder social channel so you should definitely go check it out because there's a lot of production value there and more of those to be expected throughout this throughout this offseason. So keep an eye on that. And, of course, keep an eye on OKCThunder.com for Nick Gallo's articles because what we just talked about here was just a little taste of what you can expect from Nick's article on the Thunder's defense. So be sure to keep an eye out for those weekly throughout the offseason. And then, of course, be sure to come back to the TBU crew. We've got you covered on all of the breakdowns of those articles. But... 
Here's what's on tap for the Thunder throughout these next couple of weeks. We've got the NBA Draft Lottery coming up in a couple of weeks, May 17th. That is going to be in Chicago. We will have a podcast after that as well. We'll also have a couple of podcasts leading up to that, so don't you worry. We're not going to leave you hanging, but keep an eye on that. That is the big kind of thing coming up in, on the Thunder schedule, and of course, just other things throughout the offseason, big kind of timeline moments, the draft, um, summer league as well. So don't worry, we'll keep you updated on all of those things, but you're going to want to keep an eye out on OKCThunder.com for all articles and here for all coverage of that. Until next time, thank you so much for watching and listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you, you get your podcast. Thank you so much to our producer, Matt Bishop. And until next time, Thunder up and catch you later.